This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Darnall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, June 27th, 2020. Um, and I, I can't think of anything snappy to say. This has actually been a uh, an okay week as far as I remember, if I ignore the bad stuff, which I'm going <laughs> to do. Well, we kind of have to do that, don't you? I mean, but even the bad stuff we've got isn't as bad as the bad stuff that we've gotten in previous weeks. So there's some good stuff that's happening this week. Bad stuff's on a downswing. Good stuff's coming up. Good yeah. stuff stocks are up. <laughs> um, feeling feeling bullish about good stuff. All right. Cyberpunk 2077, the video game, uh, was delayed by two months uh, from September to November, um, which is bad. I'll admit it, that was bad. That happened this week. That was bad. But they also came out with their first episode of Night City Wire, which was talking about some behind-the-scenes stuff and was just, you know, pretty interesting. So hmm. that was good. Now, uh... Some select people got a chance to play uh, current builds of the game and do little reviews on YouTube about the game, which is good. None of those people were me, which is bad. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> so, you know, that's... Uh, it balances. Um, there's some new Pirates of the Caribbean movies coming out um, with Johnny Depp in them, so that's good. Are you sure that's in the good column? <laughs> yeah, just wait to the bad column. I'm not done. You okay. always knew there was something coming. You could feel something coming. You, you've you've seen the pattern already. How did you not know there was something else coming? But. Margot Robbie is starring in a female-led spinoff of Pirates of the Caribbean, which the studio assures us is not a spinoff. It's an original story set in the Pirates of the Caribbean world that's spinning off from the other Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but it's not a spinoff. Female-led Margot Robbie, written by the same lady who wrote Birds of Prey. Oh, yeah. oh goodness. Without Johnny Depp. Wh yeah. Which is bad. Bad. So, <sighs> you see what I'm saying here? I'm thinking about it, man. Bad stuff. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah. Well, there's probably some other big news. Oh, yeah. The, the, all the Cyberpunk 2077 news uh, has not mm -hmm. news of that other bad game right out of the headlines for the most part, which is good. Which is good. Um, and I don't even have a bad point for that. That's just the good thing. The game... <laughs> People laughed at it. You know, the the guy who wrote the game, the director of the game, Neil Druckmann, 
is so butthurt over the reception of his game, he's actually using animators and mocap actors to make memes out of characters in his game. Oh my god. You know the guy who taps his head in the meme about, you know, well, you can't do this. Right, sure. Can't. Yeah, they can't shoot you if you shoot yourself. That guy. They mocapped that and, and made Ellie doing that exact same thing. That's how butthurt he is. Is he's trying to get back at people by making memes. And he's taking it out on his employees. <laughs> and then he's trying to taunt people on Twitter with this. Now, I count that as a good thing, uh, you see? So that's good, good. That's why I'm saying good is winning. So that's two goods right there. Yeah. Hilarious. Hilarious when a guy who just made a game is so angry that people don't think it's sheer genius. I'm interested. I actually want that to go on. I want to see what other kind of memes he can come up with. I mean, what other memes is it, is it possible? Is he going to, you know, pop up the why you always lying guy? Because I like the why you always lying guy. Or uh, just do it. <laughs> just do it. That'd be great. Don't let your dreams be dreams. That would be awesome to see like Joel do or something or or the It's Ma'am golfer to do. I don't know. Are there any, you know, mean videos that would be good? <laughs> I would kill to see something like that. Well, what's All the right. rating on this one? Because all I can think of is somebody needs to reply to him with it smells like bitch in here, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And and you know that there's there's got to be at least there's got to be more than one person <laughs> worked on the project who either either in private amongst themselves or to him were like, you know this is this is a bad idea, right? <laughs> like there's there has to be some one in there who isn't a yes man just worried for his job going, "Hey, are are you sure we want this this character doctor? Do we do we want all this? Do we want any of this?" <laughs> It's just hilarious. I'm it's sorry. Like, I'm well thing of when the dungeon master looks at you and say, are you sure you want to do that? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, by the way, how was your week? That was my week is collecting news and stuff. I, oh, and I'm also getting prepared for a future show. I've been playing my way through all the Wolfenstein games that I haven't played through before. So that's Wolfenstein, the new Colossus, and I'm actually playing through Wolfenstein Youngblood. Um, well, then, then you and me, you and me need to have a, a special session. Uh, have you had a chance to play Enemy Territory yet? No. Wow, it's the best Wolfenstein. You'd hate it. Is that is that part of the new continuity? It is not. It is a multiplayer. Okay. It is a multiplayer game made with the Return to Castle Wolfenstein game. Oh, it's okay. it's it's an old role-based team-based shooter and it's hilarious. Uh, I, I'm playing through there have been four games now in the new continuity. Um, you know, the new Grim Dark going to a concentration camp and all that 
continuity. And so uh, they're up to the 1980s and the latest one I'm playing it. And so I'm going to do a review on uh, uh, some show coming up. That sounds good. So I'm working hard. We're actually doing Age of Mythology. We just was doing a flashback and we're all going back and doing that one again. Oh, that was a great game. I enjoyed that yeah, game. Well. I never got a chance to finish it because bad things happened in my life <laughs> and I was playing it. <laughs> but, well, I'm just going to be a pattern. <laughs> but yeah, I liked that game a lot. It was a lot of fun. So, Dornall, how was your week? Oh, my week is good. Speaking of Dungeon Masters, we're, uh, we're still playing online a lot and giving our Game Master no uh, end to the grief. Uh We've, we're playing on Roll20, which is is fantastic tool for frustrating everybody at the table. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and every every single week, he's he says something along the lines of, "You guys never do what I think you're going to do <laughs> every time." Yep, that's a, that's a good table when when they're always surprising you. That's a very good table. I I I I, I tried to break it to him. To him softly. Uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna try to lead him into. To, we're gonna try to help with that problem. And I said, maybe is there a way you can prepare differently or prep different stuff so that it does. It's not so much of a problem for you when we do that. Well, it's 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 a work in progress, but the game is a ton of fun. Oh, uh, he's a he's a really good. Uh, he's on the storyteller side of the spectrum. He's a really good. Uh, he'll he'll take whatever nonsense the players are up to and try to whip it into a fun narrative and uh, and everything and he's deliberately made the the world dangerous and difficult and uh, and that's fun it's it's a lot of fun exciting I found something out today sorry Actually, you're allowed uh People thought this was a joke, even though I said it was wasn't a joke. Online, female hurricanes have killed five times as many people as male hurricanes. That's right. Well, you know what? You know why they they're called all? They're all female hurricanes, right? I mean, I've. Have you ever heard of a hemicane? Whoa, tough crowd. All right, moving on, guys. <laughs> I'm lost. No, no, I'm serious, though. Somebody did a study of all the hurricanes. This is actually peer-reviewed published study, statistical analysis of hurricanes by name. Um, up until 1979, they were all named female. And after 1979, they were named male and female, and they analyzed hurricanes by name. And then of those that made landfall, they counted up how many deaths uh, came from each. And hurricanes with male names or masculine sounding names killed 11 people. Hurricanes with female names or female sounding names, feminine names, killed 59 people. It's a statistic fact. And I published that today and I and tweeted that out today. And I said to people, this is not a joke. I'm not making a joke. This is statistically real. 
And then I gave him the statistic. And at the end, I said, now you can make all the jokes you want, but this is a fact. And everybody thought I was making a joke. And I'm just like. It sounds true to be a joke to me, though, yeah. How many times do I have to say this is not actually a joke? It sounds like a joke. It sounds like a joke. It has the structure of a joke. But it's actually a bizarre truth. You're right. And they alternate starting with men and women's names every year. So it's very interesting. I'd like to see how long that trend continues. It's going to take a long time to catch up unless we have a very bad hurricane, too. So, by the way, folks, you may have heard a third voice. So I'm, I'm hoping you've heard a third voice unless there's something really bad going on. <laughs> Oh, but I didn't tell you, John, I have become dangerously insouciant about getting prepared for this show. Oh, hang on. I need to Google the definition of insouciant. Be right back. Um, back when we were doing... They laid, on, the laid back in French, really. <laughs> <laughs> back when we were doing this show... On Google Hangouts, we were always nervous before every show, trying to get everything set up. You know, I had a whole, I had literally a list of like six different steps I had to take just to make sure nothing broke uh, <laughs> before the show went on. Um, but now that we are on a more or less robust platform, I literally caught myself this morning thinking about whether or not I wanted to do some extra like troubleshooting just to make sure something was going to work. And I just thought, nah, it'll work. I don't <laughs> oh, even boy. Care. oh boy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and guess what? It worked. It worked. I didn't even have to worry. About it. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> part of general, that's part of the general move away from Google. People are moving yeah. away. I mean, two things going on. One, all the best stuff Google turns off, right? And then there's much more robust tools available once you leave the Google ecosphere. So, yeah, it's a, it's a shame they're they've dominated so much of mm -hmm. the of the market and a lot of tools. This is this is the best thing ever. Um, I, do you listen to the show much? I I explain I explain this when we first switched to the new Streamlabs which was when I've lost my train of thought. I've completely lost my train of thought. We, we switched from Google Hangouts to Streamlabs. And before we switched over, I was thinking, well, YouTube's got probably got public APIs for all of this stuff. You know, if we can't use Google Hangouts on air, we'll just, <clears throat> I'll just uh, write a little something that'll allow us to broadcast directly to our YouTube channel. Uh, we've got the stream keys, you know. It's just a, it's just a character string, mm -hmm. and uh, and we'll do that. This this should be this would be a nice project for me, uh, to and and maybe uh, maybe I'll, I'll do a little web interface or something like that. And and I was talking to someone else who does some live streams, who's been on the show a few times. He says, "Oh yeah, I use Streamlabs. It's it's great." And I I I open it up, I log on, and I look at it, and I go, "Yep, it's it's exactly what I would have written, only better. Great." <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what I was trying to say before I got sidetracked somewhere, 
I got sidetracked so far back, I don't even remember where I got sidetracked. See, it's it's like the D D game. That's a sign of a good show. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I'm asserting it at any rate. You may have heard a third voice on the show. That comes from today's guest. We have a guest on the show. Shock! I love guests. They're great. Especially me. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> Welcome back. Rick Stump, it's been, I don't know, a year or two. No, no, yeah, about 18 months, I think. Sounds right. So, something like that. Yeah. Has it already been 18 months? I think it has been. Feels right. I mean, that's okay. That's I believe you. I just... We've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I've been. How does that make you feel, Daddy Warpig? Um, it makes me feel like I, I'm losing my memory. It makes me feel like I'm going Joe Biden. I don't know, man. <laughs> I can't make that joke. That's my own law. That's my own rule. <laughs> yeah, you 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 broke the you broke the no politics rule. Oh, See, you're forgetting so things. Yeah, I'm forgetting things, apparently. Uh, I can't be expected to remember every single thing. Word that I want to end a sentence with. That's just crazy. <laughs> um, no, welcome back to the show, Rick. Um, Thanks. Once again, and I want to remind this to folks. I don't know uh, if Ardenon is uh, listening to the show today, but Ardenon uh, jumped in on... Uh, Miwi grabbed a bunch of people and said, hey, all you people better, uh, or all you people should come on Geek Gab. And I was like, mm, sure, that sounds great to me. Yep, sounds wonderful. Um, and the first two were um, Mike DiBaggio and Shell Presto last week, and then this week it's Rick Stump. And at some point in the future, we're hoping to have um, Sky Hernstrom back on the show and maybe yeah, some of the other people who are – on the book he's been writing with, uh, which includes Jeffro. So having Sky and Jeffro and uh, some of the other authors on the show at the same time, that'd that'd just be. I think John Mollison was also in that crew. Mm -hmm. He's in there. Yeah. Yep. Um. So wait, do you guys know who the other one? There was four of them. Who's the other one? Uh, it was Jeffro, Hernstrom, Mollison, and your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's just a kind of helpful, friendly information we were expecting. Uh, uh, Geek Gab, no, you're here for you're really here for the highbrow humor. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> if we can get that show uh, lined up sometime before or after the Wolfenstein thing, uh, uh, that'll be cool. That'll be uh, a whole bunch of awesome packed into one show. Um, this week we have a whole bunch of different awesome packed into the show. And I want to start with the thing I'm most interested about, and I can do that because it's your show. It, it, yeah, I'm a host. That's what <laughs> that's one of the little privileges of being a host. You're making something that's a an officially licensed hero system thing. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. I got a hold of Hero. Well, I'll throw it back further. I started playing Hero back when it first came out, and um, was part of a Champions game in 85 that lasted through 87 and been playing ever since um the kids and i have been running one as the some of the audience know but i'll fill you in i've got five sons and uh, the four oldest have been you know role-playing with me for goodness gracious 12 years 
um, or more. Wow. And um, we started something I just called the Atlantaverse for them and a bunch of their friends from school and church or wherever, where we'd have all these teens rotating in. I'd have, I think we had a total of 14 players, each with two characters. And different settings, we start rotating them in. I came up with my own background, own setting, own origin of powers. You know the whole the stuff you do when you're playing when you're playing champions. <laughs> Excuse me. And about um, about a year and a half ago, I approached Hero with a, an outline for making a setting book for Hero, and they licensed me right up. Uh, they were very very gracious about it. Um, so we we've uh, got you know contracts back and forth. It's all fully licensed. And I'm hoping, and the license is good for more than one, we're going to be putting out the basic, what I call the Atlantaverse setting book, hopefully within the year, including um, art. That should include about 25 NPCs, settings. We're looking at about probably 120 to 140 pages, not counting character sheets. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, we're going to get some art put in there. We're getting some good help from artists around the country. And then we're going to do settings because the campaign itself has got distinct settings. We've got one group of people playing in 1930, the currently 1930, where they're interacting with uh, Pulp Heroes. And we've got one that is about to kick off that's set in 1950s, where they're doing commie smashers. Um, and then we've got one set in the official setting of Hudson City. One set in the official setting of Abora Bay, and then one set in uh, Atlanta, which is, of course, a reimagined Atlanta. So we really hope, and uh, you know, when when the first book hits, uh, Hero and I will talk. But we really do hope that with over the next five years, we'll be putting out about five books. That's fantastic. Are you going? Uh, are you going just online print on demand, or are you are you going for the full in retail in stores? We're starting off print on demand with the first one, um, but based on that, we may very well do the whole full print, total print run um, on the additional ones and even go back and do the original. Um, we'll see. I've had some people suggest that I go ahead and uh, do a Kickstarter for the first one, but I, I've got a rule that I'm not going to ever do a Kickstarter until everything's done being written. Sure. So once we've got a, a finished manuscript through two, two layers of editing, I'll consider that again. Uh, and we would kickstart to do additional art um, and then get it set up for printing and do some print runs. But it's it's definitely a possibility. But um, I've actually had some people impress me. They, they want to know if we can get a sixth book out because, of course, one of the big villains is the Fourth Reich, which seems to be quite popular because I've made a bunch of gadgets for them. Um, and... There's even some push from the team to get out another book because a part of the setting is the Hollow Earth, so sort of a pulp fiction uh, planetary romance setting for it as well. Wow, it sounds, but it's got everything in it. It it doesn't just sound like a hero game or a champions game. It it sounds like we're we're going to hit yeah, all these different settings. Uh, as this, as the players have pointed out, they. Uh, the next session may very well have a super-powered luchador fighting Nazis on raptors in the Hollow Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we could have uh, we could have El Azul with his mask uh, throwing down with uh, Nazis with energy rifles riding giant 
cybernetic raptors inside the hollow earth. Well, I mean, why not? Well, if you're going to, if you, I've actually always had a rule when it comes to things like champions. If you go back and look at the original pulps, the stuff that was coming out in 1930, uh, I started the pulps in 1930 for a reason. The uh, games started the day after the first appearance of the shadow in real life. If you go back and look at stuff like The Shadow, uh, Doc Savage, anything, even before that, 20 years before that with Edgar S. Burroughs, there is no difference between the genres that we now sort of take for granted. So John Carter, Warlord of Mars, could, yes, very well use telepathy and his radium pistol while riding a giant nine-legged lizard, you know, across the hollow, uh, across the dead seabeds of Mars. It's just a mix-up, and that's okay. Um, and we know for a fact, canonically, in the same universe, you had Carson Napier, who ran into guys who were actual witches, who used spells and magic on Venus. So if you're not going for a full psychotronic experience where literally anything can happen, like um, your power armor guy is fighting a vampire who's trying to conquer the moon, you're probably not really playing to the utmost that you can do in a setting with a system like hero because hero can do anything. That's true. I, I do recall many, many afternoons spent pouring over that giant hero fifth edition book, seeing what tools I could build with that, uh, with that system. Yeah. We, we actually, we're trying to dial it back. Uh, the players have uh, reached what we call the detente uh, because you know, we are the sorts of people where we read the rules intensely. But combat was beginning to get to be a mess because all the players are doing, well, I'm going to do a, you know, a three-fold block maneuver, and then I'm going to use my triggered power so to do a counter punch. Well, that's fine. He's going to do, be doing a die for cover, and then he's at indirect. I mean, because in Hero, you can stack the powers up to such an extent that it... it so you can, like, well, I'm going to roll, do I hit him, you hit him, do your damage, is very possible. At the same time... Okay, I'm going to roll to hit him, and then suddenly 15 subsystems kick in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got a power that modifies that, and I've got a power, and I've got a trigger on a skill, and and it can get very complicated. So we sort of okay, we'll dial this back so the combat goes faster, but it still goes pretty quick for us. Oh, I love the idea of the setting. I because I think a lot of people, <clears throat> what you say, it was a mashup. I think it's it's now considered a mashup. There's back when. People were first reading a Princess of Mars. There is <clears throat> there is no concept of these genres being mashed up. It's only nowadays that we look back and right. we say, "That's weird." We usually we usually sort of leave our dinosaurs with the dinosaurs and and our our psychic Nazis with the psychic Nazis, and, mm -hmm. and the witches are in another in another book. <clears throat> right, but if you're doing old school pulp or even old school superheroes, you remember canonically inside the Marvel universe. The greatest threat to the Avengers in nineteen seven, I want to say nineteen seventy two, was Dracula. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, as as he would be, Dracula's a tough customer. He was a tough customer. It was a huge story arc inside Marvel Comics in the seventies. Was how do we how do all the superheroes team up with Doctor Strange to stop Dracula from conquering the world? So, you know, for some of the listeners, that's, oh, well, it's the 1970s, but that's well within my lifetime. And I remember buying those comics when they were new, when I was a very young boy. So, you know, the crossover has always been there. And I think that, I think that it helps when you do that. As a matter of fact, that's very much a part of my 
my D&D play, my D&D style, the very first villain in my setting, uh, my campaign for D&D, and the campaign turns 41 years old in August, by the way. Wow. Um, the very first big villain was a dwarven wizard from Jotunheim who had a steam-powered warhorse, and his main weapon was a um, basically a flintlock that was powered by steam. So, do the same sort of things. That's awesome. Um, and you also mentioned the the hero system itself. So, if if I suppose if I'm new to champions, I I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't care. But being having I have a surface familiarity with the hero system and, and <laughs> champions. As I said, I've I've, I've mm -hmm. messed with the tools before. <clears throat> it. It seems to me, and this is just my opinion, that when you do a Champions or a Heroes game, you need to take that big, big Bible or whatever of, of rule set, and really you use that system to, and you pick and choose the tools that you want for your game and, and cut yeah. everything else out. The simplest, easiest thing to do, especially if you're new to it. I, I know that um, a lot of people that are coming from other tabletop systems are often overwhelmed by hero. Something I hear again and again is there's so much math. <laughs> right. And there's a lot of Don't math. make me divide. Don't make me divide things. Come yeah, on. There's a lot of math. And, uh, you know, after a while you memorize uh, all the powers of two up to two to the 12th power, if you're doing it old school. Um, and that's true. There's a lot of math, but there doesn't have to be a lot of math. It can be stripped down and just tell people, here's some points, keep it simple. And you can, easily have a wonderful hero who is tough strong and can fly the end right it's it, it sounds like it sounds like uh it's a, a rule set that you give to the game master and not the players you don't give you don't give the players the hero system rule book and say make wolverine right you you say this is the subset of game we're playing, and 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 this is all you need to know to know to make a hero. Well, let me tell you an anecdote that I've got. I've actually got this as an article on my blog. Way back when, uh, I was a young soldier, and I was traveling from Texas to North Carolina via Greyhound, and I had sent all my gear ahead, so I had just my clothes and some cash on me in a Greyhound bus, and I ran into um, a young kid who was also traveling to uh, Fort Bragg and a young girl about 16 and her grandmother and that she was going to visit her father at Fort Bragg. So we're going to be stuck in this bus a long time. And they were bored out of their minds and, and asked what, you know, what games do you play? And I mentioned, well, I just finished, I, cause I was going through a notebook. I said, this is a superhero. And I explained it to him. So we spent two days on the bus playing champions with no rule books. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the girl described the hero she wanted. We fig I figured out the stats from memory. The guy described the hero he wanted, figured out the stats from memory. He had a roll of dimes, and this is a, uh, an old military tip. You, we used to carry coins with us for vending machines, but we never carried rolls of quarters because cops would arrest you or confiscate them thinking they were fist loads. He always carried rolls of dimes. Um. So you had a bunch of dimes, and we could use those to keep track of stun and endurance and uh, the other stats. And then I just tore up a sheet of paper. The, the young girl had a notebook and a purple pen. And we tore up a sheet of paper and made shit so we could draw 
numbers. And we played for a couple of days. We had a ton of fun. The grandmother had me write down the name of the books and swore she was going to buy them for her granddaughter. And <laughs> so, you know, you don't need the big tome. You don't need the 7,000 pages of the primary rule books to, to have a good time playing a superhero game. Because when you get right down to brass tacks, it is a very simple resource management game, just like 99% of uh, tabletop games are. So if you just keep track of the stun, endurance, et cetera, you're going to be fine. And then you can focus on having fun. That's a great story. It was a great time. Uh, speaking of time, you've got uh, you've got a, a fan in chat. Attention Span Labs wants to know if you have some tips to keep your campaign running for 40 years. That's but pretty that incredible. A nice segue. Well, I can say I I really Thanks, uh, I love I love that Seaward has gone on 40 going on 41 years. Uh, and I think that the the two things that I've learned to keep the game going are that you can't maintain the status quo, right? Players have to be able to change things permanently. Mm. If they can't change things permanently, then they're not going to want to come back. Um, and, uh, I think a concrete example of that is is in my second edition campaign, which I call Blackstone. There was a huge, overwhelmingly bad guy. Lord Westergoth, the captain general of all Death Knights. So think about the biggest, baddest Death Knight in second edition. Make his boss, and that's this guy. Okay. Um he was meant to be a threat until the guys are into their domain levels, etc. When they were all, when the particular party was, one guy was 7th level, the rest were 6th, they got ambushed by Westergoth, and in a foolish bout of optimism, uh, as Dungeon Master, his thinking was they had hidden something he needed. He was going to kill one or two of them and then take one or two of them captive and force the party to give it back to him, and then he'd release them because he's got honor of a sort. And, um, you know, it'd be a demonstration of how dangerous he was. It would set them back. It would add a new quest, etc. Well, they got enough of an idea that he was coming that this six-level party beat him. Nice. Out of the blue. It wasn't easy. They still talk about it five years later. It was a massive thing, but they actually got him. <clears throat> And um, like one person, and I was talking to somebody about it, and this is, I swear, back in the Google Plus days, like, well, now you have to make, you know, a new captain general of the Death Knights to continue the plot. I'm like, no, I'm like, I can't do that. They killed the guy, right? Everything's got to change. You've got to change everything. If, you're, if your plot currently is the queen of all dragons is going to do X, Y, and Z, and in five years she's going she's gonna to conquer such and such, and the players come in and kill her, you can't replace her with a new queen of the dragons that's going to do X, Y, and Z, et cetera, because you just wipe out the success of the party. And I think that that's the, the biggest advice I have to let things go forward. Let them change stuff and let the changes stick. Wow. Um, oh, I, I know what I'm going to do. And this is the same group of crazy jerks. Uh, <laughs> I had them in the Howling Wilderness, and they went to this creepy lighthouse that's you know a couple hundred yards off the shore in the ocean on this tiny spit of rock in an inhospitable, horrible, dangerous area. And they go in, and they get some treasure, 
And the party says, now we're going to move in. <laughs> Love it. Now, I had, we're going to get to the punchline in a minute. These guys are second level. And they're like, we're going to move in. And they, you know, make it work. They hide a lot. They move up. And, but, and this is where it gets funny as well. On the third floor, there was a wizard locked door they couldn't open. I'm like, okay. Fast forward five real year games, real years, five real years. These guys are now much higher level. And they start asking, you know, why, uh, why do bad guys keep coming to the lighthouse and attacking us? It doesn't make any sense. We're in the middle of nowhere. And the reply was, oh, we'll figure it out later. Another real year later. <laughs> Another one. They're like, well, what, what's behind that door? Yeah, I don't know. Six months later. You know, we got that we got that spell, that scroll that with a high level to spell magic. Let's let's see what's behind that door. We open it up and remember Lord Westergoth, it's his missing sword, an artifact level evil sword. My original plan was they were gonna see this lighthouse, they'd leave, they'd adventure for years and years, and eventually clues would lead them back here. I'm like, Oh yeah, I was here once. No, they moved in. <laughs> <laughs> and they well, promptly I'm... ignored this locked door for six and a half real years. Real years. That's amazing. <laughs> Kept mentioning it. No. No, I just, I, sorry. I didn't prepare to spell magic today. I'm going to, I'm too busy. going to blow it off until I'm a teenager, you know, um, <laughs> it, went from, it went from the time, the timeline was so bad that my oldest son wasn't a teenager. And then when they finally did it, he was graduating college and had a job. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, that was fun and, and the thing is is it, it worked out great um and you have to let them change uh seaward itself started off as a town and a bay nearby where pirates hid and a wizard a good guy wizard in a tower where you learn spells now it's this it's a sprawling map and but the vast majority of it is you've got the Dutch of timberlake which is where a player character hit ninth level Right, and made a domain. You got Adrian, character hit 12, 10th level, made a domain. You've got a cult guy hit ninth level, he made a domain. You've got the rival city of Greenbell, a guy made ninth level and made a domain. The, the other kingdoms, with one exception, all the other kingdoms are over the four years people have leveled up, right? Um, and they've either joined the, the NPC king or they've made their own countries across the mountains or whatever. And that growth has been very organic and it sticks because um, the creativity of 20 or 30 people is always going to be better than whatever I can make up in my head by myself. So that's a really long way to talk about let the players make a difference is the, is what I think is the secret to a long running campaign. Well, those, those are great examples. Um, oh, and keep your notes. Keep very good notes. Keep very good when notes. We, I was actually going to ask: Do you have any? Uh, do you have any more nuts and bolts, day-to-day -day practical stuff, uh, practical advice? I, there's a couple things that I do. One, I take I take very careful notes. I've actually again, my blog. I have something. I've got something called my NPC box, and that's actually getting digital now. But for years and years, I kept. Um, remember those three by five card file boxes you had way back in the day in high, elementary school, high school stuff. I had sure. I've got twelve of those. And I think I've got 1,400 three-by-five cards. Whenever I would make an NPC, right, 
I would write out the details of the NPC and then keep track of who they, which PCs and NPCs they'd met and when they'd met them, right? And I kept them organized in boxes like by town and city or alliance or whatever. I'm actually now using a customer research, a relationship management tool, a CRM tool um, to digitize all that, but I'm treating it, it's the same thing. So if you go to, for example, um, in the kingdom of Seaward, if you go to the town of Old Bridge, there is an inn there called the Sad Puppy. And <laughs> I named that inn in 1982. So uh, it has nothing to do with anything contemporary. <laughs> uh, and you go in there and there's a bartender and there's a waitress. And I have these cards from 1982. Now they're digital with their names and who they've met, who they know, etc. And um, so that's one of the things I do. So I'll go through and every now and then I'll, okay, what NPCs are, what's going on with NPCs? What are they doing? Uh, with primary primary guys, I actually make a, um, what I call a, a project list now. Uh, for example, Boz, the bartender, uh, who they recently killed, was a villain in the game for years. They just didn't know it. They go to the local pub, they spill their secrets, they talk about where they want to go. The bartender is actually a spy. Um, but I'd say, well, what's his goals? What's his steps? Just as if I was making, um, a series of, a, uh, like mentorship for a, an employee. Well, I, in three years, I want to be doing this. So I'm going to do all these steps and I would have timelines of what they're doing and how they're doing it. Decision points. So that's a lot of paperwork. And about once every two weeks I go through and figure out what all the NPCs are doing and who's sending who notes. And, um, it is a fair amount of work. I will warn you. Um, I was gonna. I was gonna ask. That's that sounds, not to scare off prospective dungeon masters, but what's the ratio of prep work to game time? Well, I've been doing it for so long now that um, my ratio is only about uh, two hours per session, two hours of prep per session, mm -hmm. um, and I can do a lot of it on the fly, uh, just off the top of my head because because I got this stuff digital. And another thing too is I keep notes in areas. I think my my favorite was. There's two of my favorites. One, not too long ago, my oldest son was running a group uh, and they went in and they uh, were going overland between someplace called uh, Brownie Hill and Dwarf Hill. And they stopped and I said, oh, by the way, behind this fallen log, you find 2,000 copper pieces. It's like, oh, that's weird. About an hour later, he goes, wait a minute. My other character dumped those because he was over encumbered. Yeah. That was 12 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you were here your another character was here 12 years ago they were over encumbered so he hit 2,000 copper pieces behind that log you've got to write that stuff down but that that means of course you do things like inside skull mountain which is like i guess you can now call it a mega dungeon i always just called it my super dungeon um you know you, you'll find the remains of other party members other pcs from ages past that's cool normally Normally when you do a dungeon like that or a big place, you when you first create it, you seed it with maybe you put another NPC party on the wandering monster table. Sure. And, and of course, you're going to have remains of NPCs and their, and their treasures uh, to be claimed if the party dares. But <laughs> when you run a game for that long, <laughs> you no longer have to do that because, you know, that was your that was your elf from 15 years yeah. ago. Why did you, 
I don't know why you rolled an elf, but he's there. You can you can claim his sword and, and gold if if you want, because nobody else has been here. Yeah, he's not, <clears throat> yeah, your aunt died here once. You know that's. that's <laughs> um, yeah, and it, and it does it does add up, and then uh, same thing in the dungeon. Um, you, know, you know my my dungeon uh, that I call uh, Skull Mountain just had the players got together and added their own level to the dungeon. Right. The current crop of players used um, elemental summonings and a bunch of favors from dwarves and magic items, and they, off to the side, dug in their own level with secret access to the levels they want to have access to and outside entrance, etc., to make it easier for them to stage raids in the dungeon. They're all done with that on talking, and they found out they were the fourth party to add a level to the dungeon. <laughs> right. And that they'd been to two of the levels that other people had added to the dungeon. And that, that matters. You know, that, that builds up. Um, actually, one of the big scary NPCs in the campaign is the only surviving henchman from a party from 1984. You know, but it, you get a lot of, like, there's a lot of accumulated lore. So another thing I do is about every 10 years, I go clean stuff out and look for inconsistencies and fix a few things here and there, that sort of stuff. I love it. The 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 and the value of the story is such that something like ninety percent of games don't get past the first session, and and you're casually like yeah, every every ten years I I clean up some of this. <laughs> I gotta I gotta straighten I gotta straighten out my notes and flatten out some of these, uh, you know, well, inconsistencies. I, I have um, you know, I have an I'm one of those four layable IKEA bookshelves. You know what I'm talking about? About shoulder high on a grown grown man, and it's just my notebooks from the campaign. Wow. Spiral notebooks and campaign, roughly chronological order. I only have, I've got about eight or nine that are in what I call current rotation on notes. And, um, and that's not counting the Skull Mountain stuff. That's another set of four. I've got, um, I think, 50 gigs worth of images, files, maps, etc. So it builds up. Yeah, I imagine. I don't, I don't want it to sound that intimidating, though, because, you know, it's um, over time. It's it's not. Yeah, it's, I didn't sit down and write this at once. <laughs> sure, it's it's an accumul it's an impressive accumulation. Yeah, um, and it, it's led to some things. Like my oldest son took my old notes from. Um, he's he's studying linguistics. He took my notes from the eighties and nineties, and he's been working on constructed languages for the you know dwarves and elves and gnomes, goblins and hobgoblins, orcs. Naturally, of course, you know. So we're going to have syntax and language structures, and it just grows and grows, and hopefully it won't go away. But that's great. Yeah. Uh, what what uh, time do you reckon we'll get a cinematic universe? <laughs> well, uh, actually, it's interesting. Like I said, not too long ago, I, I uh, put out the word, four people asked, and I've been doing a Discord-based run through Skull Mountain. And uh, that's been fun. I might do more of that. I was actually wondering if... Uh, I might do the, a session like that once or twice a year where we do four or five sessions into Skull Mountain. Frankly, very, very few people make it past the second level in the mountain. Um, Lou Pulser, the game designer, and I uh, played together for many years. I would, he, I would, he would run me in his Tenilda campaign. I'd run him in my Siri campaign. And he called level two the filter. <laughs> <laughs> Skull um, Mountain. And now I'm... I, I'm not as much of an old grognard as I sound. Can you tell me more about what that is? 
Well, sure. It started off uh, there were, in one of the basic books. They had um, an interesting drawing of the Stone Mountain, and it had a skull on top. I'm like, I'm just going to steal that, right? I did, and um, started adding levels, this, that, and the other. But basically, inside the campaign, there is an area in the wilderness where it's four to seven days through the wilderness just to get to it, where there's a climb up to the top of a mountain on a plateau, and there's just a dungeon, and the dungeon goes. Well, let me put it this way. My fourth son, Nicholas, says that after playing in this campaign for more than half of his life, he's convinced that everything is technically in Skull Mountain, <laughs> including the oceans, the moons, and the cities. <laughs> <laughs> but just to give you a spoiler, there is indeed a place they have found where if you can breathe water or hold your breath for 20 minutes, you can swim down into a lake in Skull Mountain and you will surface on a lake on the third moon. So that's amazing. It goes everywhere. It goes everywhere. It's sort of like the the fictional TV universe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um you know just something to accumulate again accumulate over time. Start off with a couple levels now. I think that the main what I call the main stack is 14 levels and then um, the, Eastern, the Eastern Tunnels, for example, go 95 miles, and that's all mapped out. Um, I have far too much time on my hands. <laughs> no, but uh, it, it's just been a, it's been a fun time all these years, and it's, it's led to a lot of growth. You know, as things went on and I started changing things, AD&D First Edition was always my preferred system. And eventually, I my house rules, which actually the Far Realms thing, the image that you guys used when you uh, were pitching this, that Far Realms, that's about one-fourth of the house rules that I use for AD&D First Edition and Seaward. And what I'm working on now is I'm working on turning that into its own standalone OSR clone of First Edition. Um, oh, sure. If, you, if you've got so many house rules on top of it, you might as well go all the way. And Yeah. So I've been working on that for a while. It's coming along. I'm actually in the Horrible grunt work of, okay, let's write up all the spells. Let's write up all the equipment. You know, that's where we're just foot slugging. But I've been working on that about a year now, I think, DW. It's been about right, right? About a year. And turning, you know, notes into a coherent game where I'm also making it so you don't need to use any other rules so you can play the game. It has been fun. I'm even putting in mass combat rules so that you can do... Um, Army on Army fighting using the same rule book. We're playtesting those tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Oh, cool. We've had them for a long time. We're just getting them neatened up for, you know, people outside the family and outside the team to use. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, the, the OSR clone I'm working on, the tentative name is Old School by Rick, Crusaders and Catacombs. We'll cool. Contact is, we're at 24 character classes. Wow. Um, about eight or nine of which are for NPCs only. And seven, uh, excuse me, ten races, three of which are NPC only. So, uh, it, and are the is it? You said it's it's sort of house ruled a D and D. So is it a, sort of a standard array of D and D style classes and races, or or had you sure, gone? Sure. I mean, the way it works is we we've got the warrior. Like here's an example: you've got dwarves, elves, gnomes, halflings, half elves, half orcs, and humans are the player playable races. And then the NPC races, 
they basically when I say NPC, you're going to run into them in villages and as henchmen. That stuff are um, selkie, which are semi-humans like half elves or half orcs that can hold their breath for extended periods of time and they're comfortable in the water. And um, we've got the the fairy, which are smaller, more magical elves, and half ogres, which are big, bad, stupid looking, you know. Um, and then, like the player character races, include the barbarian, the nobleman, and the soldier. And the NPC races for NPC classes, I should say, for warriors are the courtier and the man at arms. So I really made the NPC races because there was a problem that I ran into, and that was. If you have very few uh, non-player characters with levels, the players become overwhelmingly powerful very quickly. And then a lot of things don't make sense, like the encounter charts in the back of the DMG. But if you have plenty of NPCs with character classes, the player characters are almost never going to matter. I think that I spent almost six months talking about this incessantly on my blog about what happened. So what I did was I came up with a group of uh, NPC classes where they're a lot better than zero level something, but they won't compete with PCs. So you can have patrols with a bunch of third level guys and an eighth level leader, but it still matters that the PCs are third level or eighth level. So That's fair. Just sort of to give that, what's the word, verisimilitude when... Right, right. The there has to be a verisimilitude. I, I mean, it's... It's a game about dragons and elves and talking swords, yes, but I want to have it internally consistent. Sure. Uh, the uh, the sort of thing that's problem that's solved in video games by making uh, the town guards unstoppable killing machines. <laughs> right. So that you don't you know? attack the guards. Right. Yeah. On the one hand, you you want you kind of want every village to have. A, a cleric type you know, the at the local parish or church or whatever who can do things like help out the village, maybe a hedge mage out of every other village, that sort of stuff. But if you put a magic user and a cleric in every village, pretty soon your clerics and your magic users are worthless. So I made the hedge mage, right, which is uh, a low-rent version of the magic user, and I made the uh, religious brother or sister who is much more about healing and getting rid of fevers than it is about fighting and casting combat spells. And that solved a massive problem of, you know, I've got 1,400 villages, you know, this is an example, and I've got eight clerics. Who the heck is uh, doing marriages? What's going on here, you know? <laughs> so we did a lot of that. And that's that's in, the, that's in the new rule book, along with the mass combat spells, a bunch of mass combat rules, a bunch of spells, um, different armor. I never liked the armor in the original book, that sort of stuff. Sure, I gotta admit, I uh, I got my start with second edition, so the first edition stuff is is a little foreign to me. Uh, it's been years since I played second edition, though. Second edition is fun. Um, it's my wife's favorite version. My so we the Blackstone campaign is second edition skills and powers, where I've got a tight lock on what's allowed. Oh yeah, yeah, that book was. <laughs> <laughs> that book that had book good is stuff. Not designed to be, you know, it's not. Oh yeah, use everything. It's pick what you're going to use and stick to your guns. Um, we've got the whole series of that, and we've been running that for 17 years now. So yeah, that's my my short campaign is 17 years. Fantastic. No. And um, um, 
No, but it's fun. Uh, I'll probably put out some stuff for Blackstone in the future someday, too. We are almost out of time. Oh, my goodness. Is it crazy? I told you I could talk about anything all day. I warned you. Oh, uh, it's great. I Just like last time, it's, it's good getting insight into what it takes to really... I think there's a lot of people, and, and it might be intimidating for a lot of people. I know I'm starting to ramble, but there's a lot of people who don't get into game mastering because of stories like yours or mm. or uh, the success of a show like Critical Role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's important to and it's important to stress that what you've done is just based on consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, the advice that you gave earlier and i mean not a not in small part uh actually raising some kids who want to play with you <laughs> that seems to be a big I'm help of having a large family not because i'm catholic but because i needed trapped players to keep my exactly <laughs> like no daddy you know, son, the family that plays together stays together. Oh no, I don't want well, actually, to. The, the funny thing is, is my fourth son, Nicholas. Well, actually, you know, dad, <clears throat> I'm not a real big fan of house rules. The rules as written are just fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He, he's been talking, he's been reading Jeffro too much on. Probably the other way around. That's the way since he was six or seven years old. So, uh, uh, yeah, he's a he's a, a grandyard. He's a seventeen-year-old grandyard. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, uh, that's that's great. But definitely, that was really interesting to hear. Uh, good advice on what what it takes to keep a campaign going for a long time. And uh, I I will hope for the best for the hero system game you're putting out. You guys updated. Um, we're going to be doing some sneak peeks online so people can give me feedback here in the next couple of weeks. So watch my MeWe feed and uh, and uh, maybe check out the Discord. We'll be doing some stuff there, too. Why don't you send us the MeWe feed link after the show, and I'll, I'll make sure that it's in the show notes. Yep, Daddy, DW's got it. He can get it to you as well. And uh, you guys are on the Discord, so be, feel free to share that stuff out. Um, well, that that was fun. Thanks for coming back on. Well, thank uh, do you, you have, so much. I really appreciate it, guys. Do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, just thanks for having me, and I look forward we should do this again in six, seven months. Of course. Yeah, I'm especially looking forward. Uh, um, you know, definitely we want to do this again when it gets cl- uh, close to the Kickstarters for yes. Yes, any one of this stuff. Absolutely. When we start getting close to actual uh, getting it out, we'll definitely have to do another one of these and get some feedback. Well, thanks again, guys. Really appreciate your time. For sure. Daddy Warpig, any last questions or words for everybody? I think that's my mind. Oh, yeah. My mistake. <laughs> I just, I thought of that. I'm like, wait, I'm I'm not doing the the exit. I'm... <laughs> One, again? <clears throat> uh, well, I, I've already thanked our, our guests. Thank you for being a, a wonderful co-host. It was great to see some new faces in the chat. Uh, Matthew Martin, Judd Goswick in particular have been hanging out. They must be uh, they must be old fans of yours, uh, uh, Rick. But uh, it's uh, it's it's been great. Thanks for for the show and my inimitable co-host, Eddie Warpig. 
Um, I will say that uh, Rick has a blog we'll stick the link to in the description called Don't Split the Party. There's some really, really great, great articles on that blog. Thank you. Uh, I'll start <clears> writing <throat> real soon once I get through this chapter on spells in the, in the clone book. Mercy. One of the best articles, or at least one of the ones I loved the most, was the one on um, spells in first edition scrying spells and uh, uh, psychic abilities and how those interacted. And uh, it's just phenomenal. Um, we kind of discussed it way long ago with Jeff Rowe and uh, uh, Alex at Kursova. But, uh, yeah, I loved uh, a, a lot of the stuff I've read on this blog. I only say a lot because I haven't read everything on this blog, but everything I have read, I've loved. Um, so... We'll put the link back in the description, and uh, I urge you guys to go check it out. Um, I'm trying to think. That's that's pretty much all I have to say. I want to thank everybody who listened live. I want to thank everybody who's going to check out the show later. Uh, you can catch the show live just about every week. Oh, yeah, just about this time. Folks, um, so a note on next week's show. I... Uh, I'm going in for major surgery on Monday. Um, full anesthetic, cut me open, chop me up, sew me back up surgery. Um, and although I'm supposed to be able to return to normal by workish activities within a few days, so it's possible I'll be... Uh, able to do next week's show there's no guarantee if there's any way i can i'd love to come on and do a show next week if not well then we'll be skipping next week's show and hopefully we'll be ready to go in two weeks so um yeah I've done the show you, and... <laughs> thank you uh very much i've done the show in in worse conditions um but not much um so if we if we're not here next week you'll know why it's because i have a legitimate uh legitimate medical situation going on that i i just can't uh get over with but um hopefully we'll be able to do the show and uh, maybe i'll even uh, be talking about wolfenstein and if not we'll come up with something else to discuss at the so, last minute at the last minute, of course, because that's how we do. Um, so we want to thank everyone who's listening live. We want to thank everyone who's going to tune in later. We're here about every week at this time. Uh, you can catch us on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That's YouTube.com slash GeekGab. Or you can catch us on the Google Play Store. You can catch us on SoundCloud.com or on the Apple iTunes Store. Subscribe to us on any of those feeds so you can listen to us on the device of your choice. We are signing out for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.